0: Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Podcast. We are in season three and reflecting on the topic, what Jesus wants most from his church. Each week we'll be looking at the passages in the letter to the Ephesians to see how God answered Jesus' priestly prayers found in John 17. So enjoy this time in hearing the preaching of God's word and may you be encouraged in the great hope you have in the gospel of Jesus Christ.
1: So this morning, we're going to look at John 17, and it's that question, what does Jesus desire for the church? And basically what we're going to see in John 17, at least one of the answers, the main, I would say the main answer, is that he wants us to be one. He wants us to be one. One in Jesus Christ. Another way of saying it is that he wants us to be united, to have a union and it's being united, not just with one another, but also to be united with him. In fact, hopefully what we're going to try to argue throughout these next five weeks is that we cannot be united as Jesus prays for us to be united unless we are united with Christ. That's key. We must be united in Christ in order for us to be united together as Jesus prayed for us to be united, and so this morning we're gonna we're gonna kind of look at this broad topic of being one. Um, it's it's this is the overview, and then we're gonna get into specifics. So when we go through this passage, if there's questions that you have and they're not answered, it's it's gonna happen. It's probably gonna happen. They're not all gonna be answered this morning. Hopefully, throughout these next several weeks, though, they will be. All right, so let's look at John 17. I'm going to have Dave come up here pretty soon, Dave. I'm going to have you come up to read John 17. But before you do, I want to give a little bit of context with John 17. This is a very important chapter uh, in the Gospel of John. Um, it's basically what's what's taking place is that Jesus is, this is the gospel. So Jesus is starting his ministry. He's teaching, he's preaching, he's doing miracles. And along the way he's bringing disciples with him, specifically 12. And throughout he's teaching them, they have questions, they're a bit confused about certain things, but but he's taking them along the way and something very interesting happens in the midst of this ministry that he's doing. So mind you, he is preaching and teaching unlike any other preacher or teacher at that time. He's also doing miracles, miracles that they've never seen before. And at one point, he's walking with his disciples, and he says, hey, disciples, who do the people say that I am? I'm doing all these things, words getting out, I'm pretty popular. He doesn't say that, but I mean, he is, he's popular, people are following him around. Who do they say that I am? And of course, Peter, Peter's the boisterous one. He's the first one with his hand raised. You know, he's the one sitting in the front row of class that always has the answer or thinks he does. And uh, he says, "Um, some say that you're a prophet. Some say that you're a good teacher. Well, okay, Peter, who do you say that I am? And he says, well, you're you're the son of God. You are the son of God. And Jesus says, you're right. And you didn't get that answer on your own or from others. You got that from God, but you are right. And something takes place after he, he has that conversation with his disciples. From that time on, Jesus begins to tell them about what's going to transpire in the future. He's going to tell them that he's going to die, that he's going to be crucified, and three days later rise again. Now, the disciples don't really understand this, Uh, they they try to push against it and all that, but from that time forward, Jesus keeps mentioning this to them. Not only that, though, once this transpires, this conversation, Jesus starts heading towards Jerusalem. He makes his way to Jerusalem, because that's where his end is. That's where all of this is going to transpire. So fast forward to John chapter 17. He's in Jerusalem now with his disciples, and it's during the time of the Passover. It's when he's up in the upper room celebrating the Passover with them, And we talk about this all the time on the very first Sunday of each month because we always take communion on the first Sunday of each month. And I usually remind us of what's transpiring there. They're in the upper room together. They're eating, they're feasting, and, and they do take communion together but remember, this is the night that he's going to get arrested. That's the same night. The next day, he's going to be crucified. Okay? So this is taking place. This conversation and this prayer that we're going to read takes place that night. And I think that's really important for us to understand. Because Jesus knows what's going to transpire, he knows he's going to die. But he also knows this. This is uh, John chapter 16, verse 32. This is right before he gives this prayer. Okay? This is what he says Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. So it's right now when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Basically saying, Hey, now's the time. This is going to transpire. You're going to scatter. You're going to abandon me. This is what's going to take place. And guess what happens? It, it it transpires, right? And so this prayer is really important because Jesus understands when this happens that the disciples are at their most vulnerable time. They're at their most vulnerable time. Jesus is going to be gone. They're going to scatter to their own homes. They're going to be isolated. That should be screaming danger. In fact, I think that's why Jesus begins to pray. When do we usually pray? (laughs) When we need it the most. And it's at that hour where Jesus goes, instead of talking with them or teaching them or preparing, grabbing swords or whatever it is, running, he goes to the Lord and he prays because he knows this is where the disciples are in their most dangerous predicament. So think of it this way, an illustration of, uh, do you guys like watch a, uh, um, National Geographics or Animal Planet or whatever with uh, these uh, animals like wolves or tigers that go out and they you see them chasing down their prey? And they always chase down in packs and what they do is they just don't, they just don't Attack the whole entire pack, do they? They start chasing them down and then they get one isolated. And once they find one isolated, then they all surround that one that's isolated and run them down, tire them out, and then devour them. Divide and conquer, right? And this, I think, is why Jesus is praying. The disciples are going to be in danger, they're going to be scattered and isolated. They're going to be in danger. And now Jesus is going to pray. And so it's really important to understand what he he prays for specifically in this dangerous time for them. So with that, Dave, would you be willing to come up and read John 17 for us?
2: When Jesus had spoken these words, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who you will give, who believe in me and their word, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them,
1: Heavenly Father, we come before you. We give you thanks for your word. We thank you, Father, that you reveal yourself to us through your word. The Spirit works through your word. And so I pray now that the Spirit would work in us now, in this place. Father, may, it, may the word of God just enrich our hearts, fill us up, and that we would be transformed into the likeness of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first thing that I want to do, when we, when we look at this chapter, there's, there's a lot going on in that prayer, isn't there? There's a lot going on. There's a lot of repetition taking place. We're not going to be able to go through all of it. This is an overview of, of this topic. And even throughout, um, this prayer, there's, there's so much going on. We're not going to cover everything in this series, but there's some particular things that we are going to draw out that I think that are very central to this passage. So first, the one thing that I want us to understand when we're looking at this prayer is uh, it comes out of verses 1 through 3. So take a look at that. John 17, verses 1 through 3, says this, Father the hour has come, glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. This is eternal life. If anybody asks you, what is eternal life? How, how do we have eternal life? It's getting spelled out right here. This is the passage. Tattoo it on your hand if you need to. This is it. This is eternal life, that they know you, the one or the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. There it is. This is is probably like the main idea of this passage in the sense of what Jesus wants most for his disciples, that they may know the, true, the one true God, and to know Jesus Christ, whom God has sent. So everything that we talk about after that kind of falls under that. This is kind of the umbrella, and everything else is underneath this. This is why Jesus came in the flesh. This is why he came, so that he can reveal God, right? He is God in flesh. So So looking at Jesus, you are looking at God. Hearing from Jesus, you are hearing from God. Experiencing Jesus, you are experiencing God. This is why Jesus came, that they may know the one and true God and therefore have eternal life. And so this isn't just knowing about God, is it? He doesn't say, hey, this is eternal life, that they may know about God. This is different. This is about a relationship. This is about engaging with him, knowing him in a way, in an intimate way, that you would know a friend or a loved one to really know God. This is what it's all about. This is why Jesus is praying. And so what does Jesus want for his disciples. What does he want? He wants them to know God. And this is how, all right? This is his request. This is looking at verses 11 and verse, uh, verse 11 and verse 15. This is his request. There's a lot of requests that he gives, but here are two that are really important. Number one, it's to keep them, to keep them. And what does he mean by keeping? Well, it's to keep them in your name. Jesus is praying to God, Lord, keep them in your name. And then a little bit later in verse 15, he says, and keep them from the evil one. So he's, he's making a distinction there, right? He's talking about keeping, keeping them in his name and keeping them from something, and hopefully this, uh, this division or this distinction reminds us of the book of Proverbs, right? If you go back to our uh, two series ago when we were talking about wisdom and what wisdom's all about, it's to keep people on the right path. Um, wisdom is calling out in front of her house saying, come in, gather together under my roof. This is where it's safe. And where's the adulterous woman or the foolish person? They're, they're, they're crying out too, I'll oh, come this way, right? I'll give you pleasure, I'll give you joy, and that's where there's traps and dangers and snares. So in the same way, Jesus is praying this to keep them. It's kind of like lady wisdom, and of, of course, this is, this is the Lord. Wisdom comes from God. So this is God's wisdom, to protect his people and to keep them from the snares of the evil one. And this is what Jesus is praying. Keep them. But he continues on, and this is also in verse 11. This is uh, the reason why he wants them kept in his name. It is this, verse 11, that they may be one. Again, it's that picture of gathering together, gathering together under the roof of, of wisdom, of godly wisdom would be a good picture, so that they will be protected, that they can be unified, that they will be united. Let let me read it to you, John seventeen verse eleven, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. They are the disciples. They are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So that's the kind of oneness that Jesus wants for his disciples. It's a particular kind of unity, a particular kind of oneness that can only come through Jesus. And it's a picture of the union between Jesus, the Son, and the Father. So here's the thing there's going to be a time that they're scattered, right? When Jesus is gone, when Jesus dies, they're going to scatter. They're going to go to their own homes, it says. And this is the time when they will be tested. They will be tempted, they'll be tested by the evil one. So, an example of this, Think of Peter during this time. So Jesus, several times, so we just, we just read that Jesus told the disciples, you're going to be scattered. And then he starts out this prayer where there's another time where he specifically talks to Peter. And he says, Peter, I'm, I'm going, they're, um, they're going to kill me. I'm going to be in danger. And Peter, you know, the one that's up front raises his hand first, is also the one that says, well, wherever you go, I'm going to go. I won't let that happen to you. I'll protect you. I'm standing beside you, Jesus. I'm your man. And Jesus looks up and says, you're going to scatter too. In fact, before the night, uh, before the crow, uh, before the bird or the, what is it? The rooster crows three times. Got to get that straight. Okay. Before the rooster crows three times, you're going to die. Or before the rooster crows once, you will die me three times. There we go. But he says, You're going to deny me. And he's like, No, that's not going to happen. But it happens. And what's interesting is in that, um, this is in Luke chapter 22. It's Jesus speaking, and he says, Simon, which is Peter, he says, Behold, Satan, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. There's the key to this prayer. So Jesus is praying for his disciples. That's what we're reading about. There's another time apparently that Jesus was praying specifically for Peter, but it's for the same situation, right? He's gonna be, t- be scattered. He's gonna be isolated and Satan's gonna tempt him. And this is what pray- uh, Jesus is praying. Satan wants him. He's going to test him but I'm praying that your faith may not fail. And then he says, and when you recover, go and strengthen your brothers. So Jesus is praying for him. He, it, the, the crazy thing is he already knows the outcome. And he says, once, once you get through this, once, once uh, your faith is strengthened, go strengthen your brothers because they're going to need it too because they're scattered and isolated. You see, Jesus is praying at a moment where there's the greatest danger for the disciples. So throughout this prayer, we won't read it, but throughout this prayer, if you go back and read it, when when he's engaging with God, he's saying, look, I have given them your word, Lord. Throughout these three years that they've been with me, I have given them the word of God. I've given them the truth in such a way that they believe it and are following me and trusting in me. Not only that, but I have kept them. I've kept them together. And also, I have guarded them. So what's Jesus acting like? Well, in that time period, in that context, he's acting like a shepherd. He's got his sheep. They're gathered together. And he's watching. He's protecting. He's guarding. Garden. Guarding. He's guarding them. But now he knows he's going to be arrested, and that they're going to scatter and be in their own homes. Friends, does this sound familiar? Being in our own homes, scattered, separated? Have we not experienced that for the past year and a half? Where do you think that comes from? Is there not danger in that? So the disciples are in a dangerous place. But here's the wild thing about this, or or something that's, that's really interesting about this prayer. He doesn't just pray for the disciples. He doesn't just pray for them. He also prays for others, and this is starting in verse 20. He starts praying for others. He says, Uh, Look at verse 20, John 17, verse 20. I do not ask for those only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So you gotta imagine this. Just imagine Jesus is in this room. He's with his disciples. He was engaging with them. He says, hey, look, you're gonna scatter and it's coming quick. I'm leaving quick. And as he's talking about this, all of a sudden he stops and he starts praying to the Lord, Lord, I pray for these I pray for them. Would you protect them? Keep them. And I'm not praying for these alone, Lord, but I'm also praying for others that who believe, they will believe in the future. So he's praying, praying for future believers. And why will they believe? Look at the verse again. Why will they believe? They will believe because these disciples that are going to go through this danger are going to come out the other end and they're going to be preaching the gospel of God. And it's through their preached word that the church is born. So who is Jesus praying to here? He's praying to the church. Well, yes, sorry. He's praying to the he's praying to his father for the church. Thank you. But he's praying for the church. Friends, he's praying for this church. Those who will believe because of your word. That's, that's the scriptures. The, the, the scriptures that we have is the testimony of the apostles. That's their word. We believe because of their word. And so Jesus is praying for us. Can you imagine that 2,000 years ago? There is a prayer that Jesus gives 2,000 years ago that is for us, it's for this church. I think this is huge. So starting in verse 20, when we go through uh, that, chat, uh, that section, I think it's really important for us to understand what is he really praying for there? What does he want for us as, as future believers that are going to believe based on this word, what is he praying for? Well, this is it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this through list because I think it's pretty obvious what he wants, Right? What does, desire, what does Jesus desire for this church? Look through verses 20 through 26, and I just listed them out, okay? So here's the list. Number one, that they may all be one. That they may all be one. That they also may be in us. That they may be one even as we are one. Basically saying the same thing as the first two, Right? That they may become become perfectly one. That they may be with me where I am. Where is Jesus? We didn't uh, show this in the context, but where is Jesus? He's he's calling them to be with him, right? So a, a a union with him where he is. So it's a location. Where is Jesus going? Fast forward after the cross, after he rises, where is he going? To the Father, to the Heavenly Father. Uh, Earlier in this prayer, I probably won't find the verse, but earlier in this prayer he goes, he keeps saying, and I am coming to you. I am here now in the world, but I won't be here for long, and I am coming to you. And now later he's saying, may they be with me where I am. Jesus wants his church to be united with him and the Father in glory. That's the prayer. That's where he wants us. And then the last one, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So again, what does Jesus desire for this church? I think the repetitive nature of these six verses makes it clear Jesus wants us to be united, to be one with him and also one with one another. That is his heart's desire. This is the last word he gives before he goes and gets arrested, goes to the cross and dies. Right? The last words are most important. And so I think we really need to take this call to be one seriously. And that's why we're doing this series because we think it's important. So here's the thing. If you take a look back throughout this prayer, it's this call to be one, to be united, because divided, we're in danger. So what does this mean for us today? How does it apply for us today? Well, I think there's there's several ways, but the ones that really rise to the surface, that really hit me, there's three, and I'm going to go through these quickly. Um, number one, I think, is it does um, connect with this pandemic that we're going through. So if you think about the year and a half and what we've, think about what life was like and what church life was like before the pandemic. I know it might be hard to do. It's been so long. But things have changed drastically. And now it's far easier for us to stay in our homes, to turn on the live stream, and just, you know, be comfortable in our own chairs to listen to a sermon, maybe not this one but a different one, or to listen to Christian music and kind of be on our own and do the same kind of things. And I'm and I think that can be dangerous. To be isolated in that way is exactly what the evil one wants us to do. And so here's the challenge. And I don't I don't say this lightly. But I think this is something that we really need to think through and reflect on. So I'm not, this does, I don't want this to come out of a sense of judgment or any of that. But just reflecting on this past year and a half, this is the question that I've been asking myself. Is there something worse than death? Is there something worse than death? Jesus in this prayer is talking about eternal life. Friends, we're all going to die. That's a fact. We know that to be true. Here Jesus is talking about eternal life and how to obtain eternal life. He also talks about damnation and wrath. Is there something worse than death? Yes. So, it's important for us to hear God's word and what He tells us that what His greatest desire is for us that we may obtain eternal life. Yes. And that is for us to be united, to be one. And so, what does that mean for us as a church? All right. So, that's one big question. And we'll, we're, we'll, Talk about that more, I think, throughout the series. The other one is this, and that it's divisive political environment that we live in today. The divisive political environment is, you can write a couple of books on this. I think you can do a full study on this, like in college and have it your major, because there's so many different components to it of how much our culture is now divided amongst itself because of all these different beliefs or ideas and concepts and some of them are important. But here's the thing. Um, and this kind of came out, I think, in our Daniel series, of Dan- how Daniel, uh, how he responded to conflict. Because I think he responded to conflict in a godly way, in a respectful way. And I think it's a great lesson for us today. So the question is, is how can we disagree while, while still honoring God and loving our neighbor? How can we disagree? Because there's a lot of disagreement in our culture. You turn on media, and they're disagreeing with someone, right? That's how they're going to get their clicks, by disagreeing with someone. The more popular that someone is, the better it is for them. And so it creates this culture of conflict and divisiveness. And I'm talking in my own heart. When I, when I listen to that or I hear that, what wells up within me is, Arr. Anger and frustration. And how can anyone believe that? And it creates this, this heart of divisiveness. And that's not what we're called to do. Yes, we can disagree. But how can we disagree while still honoring God and loving our neighbor? And number three, where this kind of applies, is our own comforts and preferences. And this is probably where stepping on some, some toes a little bit more when it comes to our preferences, what, what is church supposed to be like? We all have a list of what churches, what a church, sun, a Sunday morning should be like. What the music should be like, right? So how many are in this room right now? Probably what, 60 to 80, somewhere around there? And I think that there are 60 to 80 different expectations or preferences when it comes to even music. You know, we have... We have some very talented, gifted, diverse set of worship leaders. And when I mean by diverse, they, they all have their different styles. And so there may be when, when uh, you know, and they, and they rotate all around. And some, you're like, oh, man, I like how they do it. I'm not too up on how this person does it, Right? And so we have these preferences of what church should be like and the style in which we worship and, and, and the preaching and all this other stuff. But let me, incur, let, let me ask you this, though. What does God want most for us on a Sunday morning when it comes to worship? What does he want most? What does he care about most? Let me answer you and let, answer it in, in these two ways. One is he cares about truth. Right, So when we sing, we want to sing about truth and his promises together. But I think he also cares about our hearts, our heart of worship. So there may be things in a worship service, maybe songs we sing or the way that we sing them, or maybe way that people worship that may make us feel uncomfortable. In fact, in a worship service, let me say this too, and I know I'm going long. Um, because of this we're going I won't go too long but let let me encourage you in this way. I was thinking about this um, you you know what one of the things that encourages me most about church and being gathered together is seeing young people seeing children there's there's something about it when they're in this room with us. So let me encourage you in this way, young, young families. I have five children. I'm not tearing up because of how difficult it is to be with children in a, in a worship service. You're like, man, I've gone through it. It's hard. But it is hard. When they're little and, and, and the, uh, um, spilling coffee or spilling drinks, you know, crumbs, uh, opening wrappers during prayer, <laughs> and you hear mom, 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 mom. You know, though, as I get older and when I see my kids older and when I see other people's kids in the service, when I see those other kids and those things, those distractions, you know what I think? Oh, thank God. Thank God for our children to be here with us, to experience the love of God and and to worship with us. They are learning something when they're in here, worshiping with us. I just want to encourage you. If you have young families, if you are a young family, I know that you want your kids to be perfect and you don't want them to be a distraction in this place. Let them come and be a distraction. It is so worth it for us. It encourages my heart. It's true. Pray for our young families. Pray that they come and and that we can enjoy this together with them because they are such an encouragement. And it blesses your children. All right. Ah. We're supposed to talk about Ephesians now, and and we should be closing. So let me just say this. Instead of going through all these verses, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 22, it's the whole chapter. Um, We're going to be touching upon it a little bit through this series, but this is so important. If you have time later, read this chapter because it connects with this prayer for oneness. And here's the linchpin. This is what is central. It is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and it's about the gospel. He is preaching the gospel, he's sharing the gospel, and he's saying, Listen, you were once far off, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you were following the evil one, you were declared children of wrath, but God. So he puts us all in the same boat. We're all in trouble. The boat is sinking. We're all there. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish and you follow the laws and the commands of, of the Old Testament. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. It doesn't matter how old you are, if you're male or female, what country you come from. We're all in the same boat, children of wrath, dead in our trespasses and sins. But then it changes and it says, but God... But God being rich in mercy, he saved us from our sin. He made us alive. He made us alive and the word is together. He made us alive together with Christ. Jesus is praying in John 17, I pray that they will be one together and one with God. And here Paul is saying the same thing, that you're alive together with Christ. Paul is talking about this oneness in this chapter. And, it's, and the linchpin or, or the glue that brings it all together, that unites us, is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins, he paid for our sins, and faith in him brings us to salvation and eternal life. That is the gospel. And then he continues on in that chapter, and he talks about this oneness That we are made one through him. And so again, let me close with this. What does Jesus desire for his church? That we are united through the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be reminded, to remind ourselves, friends, we are in the same boat. We come into this building as sinners. We fall short. We are sinners without Christ. We are declared children of wrath. And every single one of us needs to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And so here's the challenge. If, if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, that's, that's how the scriptures describe you. Children of wrath. And what it takes is to come before Jesus and put your trust in him. And for us who are followers of Jesus, those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ now, what he calls us to is to hold on to the gospel. That that is what unites us. And to be watching out for those pitfalls and those traps that may divide us. We need to be watchful of those things in our lives. What brings us together and what unites us is the gospel we need to hold to the gospel and everything else we need to consider so here's the prayer here's the wonderful prayer Jesus prays this prayer and and the beautiful thing is that what he prays it comes to pass it does come to pass. We can we can trust in that and we can move towards it. With that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather together. We thank you for your word. Lord, this this call to unity, uh, there's there's so much that is involved with it. We just barely scratch the surface. Pray, Father, that you would challenge us. I pray that you would give us a desire to continue to read John 17 and also the book of Ephesians even throughout this week and that you would speak and challenge us and and show us what you want for us when it comes to unity within the church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. More information about Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound bound in hope.